Well, I, I love uh, that we get to spend our last day of the year together. I love that I get to spend it with your kids and we get to have time together talking about the new things that God wants to do. And, and church, I want you to know that God wants to do some new things in you. And he wants to do some amazing things in your life. And I hope that you will spend some time today uh, reflecting on the good things that God has done in 2023, but also praying and praying and asking God to show you the new things that he wants to do in you in the new year. So happy New Year's, Warehouse Church. And uh, we, uh, what a great year we've had thinking back here at Warehouse Church and, and what a blessing. I, I really think it is a blessing that we get to be here together uh, on this eve of another year. We get to worship together, as Christina said at the beginning, we get to come together and worship. I, I can think of no better way, right, to get ready for the new year than to worship together. And today is our final episode or our final teaching on our Advent teaching series that we've been calling Reasons for the season, right? We've been looking at reasons that Jesus said himself in the Bible that he had to come on that first Christmas day. And we've been looking at the reasons uh, that he came from up there to down here. And so far, what we've discovered is we discovered that Jesus came on Christmas for a variety of things. The first thing that we said that he came to fulfill the law. Uh, and the second week, we said that Jesus came to prepare a people, right? He came to gather a people together to share and spread the good news, as Tess said, to share our story. And then we talked about how he came to reveal the truth, that there is truth, and truth is found in God, in God's word, and he is absolute truth. And then last week, we said that Jesus had to come to seek and save the lost. And today, we're going to look at our final reason that Jesus had to come on Christmas, and Jesus says that he had to come to destroy the works of of the devil. And that's why Jesus had to come. And if you have your Bibles, I want to dive right in today because we got a lot to talk about in a short amount of time. And we're going to look at 1 John, 1 John chapter 3. And we're just going to look at the second half of verse 8 together this morning. And, and, uh, and so let's read it uh, together. Let's just read it together out loud if you, if you don't mind. Let's just do that on the count. I'll say th- one, two, three, and then we'll start reading. One, two, three. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's works. That's what Jesus said. Jesus said that himself, that one of the reasons that he had to come from up there to down here is to destroy the devil's works. And like I said, last week we discovered that Jesus came to seek and save the lost. And in essence, Jesus is the savior of the world. Like he is the savior of the world and he came to rescue you and he came to rescue me. That was the whole mission uh, of, of coming on Christmas was to seek and to save the lost, to rescue us. He came to save people. He came to save people who are in the path of being eternally separated from God because of sin's unbreakable grip on their lives. And he came to save you, and he came to save me from sin and death, which John calls, the author of the book that we, uh, the passage that we just read, John calls the works of the devil. And so Jesus came into the world to destroy the works of the devil. And I bet that as you think about this and think about, well, this is one of the reasons that Christmas happened, I bet you didn't sit around the Christmas tree on Monday morning talking about the works of the devil, did you? Like, you didn't talk about that. And and, and nonetheless, though, Jesus' birth on that first Christmas, it was a divine invasion into the devil's territory to liberate sinners like you and me from our bondage to sin and the evil one's influence over us, because Jesus himself said that I came 
to destroy the devil's work. And you see, Christmas is very personal for Jesus. Jesus came to free you and to free me from the devil and to fully grasp this, to understand this idea, I think we need to understand a few things. And I think the first thing that we need to understand is, well, who exactly is the devil? Like, who is the devil? We, we, we picture this idea of this guy with a little pointed ears and a pitchfork and a tail, but who really is the devil that John talks about? Well, I would say that the devil is the self-appointed leader of the cosmic rebellion against God. That in the Bible, he goes by a lot of different names. One of the names that he goes by is the name Satan. And Satan simply means adversary. And because he's an adversary, it highlights this idea that he opposes God, that Satan is in opposition to God. Another name that we call him by is devil, which means slanderer or evildoer, highlighting the accusations that the devil makes against God's people. There's another word, Beelzebub, uh, I can never say it right, uh, and it means Lord of the Flies, which actually it, it highlights that his kingdom that the devil's kingdom is one of death and decay. Then there's the other word, evil one, that we call him to highlight his origin and effects of his work in the world. And then there's other names, a variety of names. The Bible calls him tempter, calls him ruler of the power of the air, calls him ruler of this world. And, and, and all these categories, biblically, uh, who this evil, slandering uh, adversary is, he's the devil. And the problem, though, with this is that a lot of people, even those who call themselves Christian, don't believe that the devil exists. A 2016 Gallup poll discovered that 89%, 89% of Americans believe in God or some kind of universal spirit, but only 61% of those people believe in the existence of the devil. Worse yet, a Barna research poll found that 40%, 40% of those who self-identify as Christian think that the devil's not a living being, but just a symbol of evil. And I got to tell you that that's a problem. Not only is that bad theology, but that's a problem because it means that according to Jesus, Jesus himself said that we have an enemy whose aim or goal or mission is to oppose God and to oppress us, but only slightly more than half of Americans, Christians, believe that he even exists, which I would say is exactly what the devil would love for you and I to believe. As a matter of fact, it's been said that the greatest trick that the, ever, that the devil ever pulled was to convince people that he doesn't exist. But let me be clear. You need to understand that the devil is real, that the evil one is prowling around like a lying lion, wanting to steal, kill, and devour. He exists. Uh, Pastor uh, Mez McConnell, he writes this, a Scottish theologian, about the devil. He says, the sole intention of this person is to try and trip up Christians. He wants to ruin their witness, Right? He wants to ruin their witness. He wants to wreck their relationships. And he wants to pull them back into a sinful and destructive lifestyle. That's what the devil does. 
The Bible warns us that we have to be on the lookout for the devil because he is real. That is who the devil is, but just what are the devil's works? Like Jesus said, I've come to destroy the devil's works, and what are those? And I want to share two of those with you. And the two of them that I want to share with you is that the devil works to oppose God and to oppress the people that God has made. And so let's look at the first one, opposing God. That's the first one of the works of the devil. And and the first time we see this, the first time that we see the devil opposing God is in the garden. Way back in Genesis, when the devil speaks as a serpent to Adam and Eve. And he tempts them, right? He tempts them to distrust and disobey God and to go off and do their own thing by lying to them. And by asking them the simple question, is that really what God said? Is that really what the Bible says? Are you sure about that? Because that's what the devil does. That's how he works. He convinces people through lies that to distrust God and for us to doubt what God has said. The devil loves to put a question mark where God has put a period. That's what he loves to do. And he loves to persuade us to take God's word and to twist it to mean whatever we want it to mean so that it lines up perfectly with our own personal desires. And people have been doing this forever where we take a verse out of the Bible and we twist it and we manipulate it to mean what we want it to mean rather than what it actually means. And the devil loves to persuade us to do that very thing. But the truth is this. The truth about sin is this, that sin always takes you further than you want to go, that it always keeps you longer than you want to stay, and it always costs you more than you are willing to pay. You see, we need to recognize the devil's tricks for what they are. And so he opposes God. That's one of his works. The second thing that I would say is that he oppresses the people that God has made. The devil's a liar. And lying is something that he does every day. And when we lie to someone, it's a type of oppression because you are misleading them in a way that harms them. And that's what the devil does. The Bible tells us that one of the main works of the devil is oppression. And this falls into two types of categories. There's ordinary oppression and there's extraordinary oppression. And just track with me for a minute and follow along. And let me just share with you what ordinary oppression is. Ordinary pressure is something that is more common. It's something that you experience probably on a daily basis. The devil oppresses people through numerous ways. He loves to use guilt and shame and fear, making you feel guilty even though you're forgiven, making you feel dirty even though you've actually been made clean, and making you feel terrified when you're actually safe in the loving arms of Jesus. That's ordinary oppression. That's what the devil loves to do with us on a daily basis. He loves to take our shame and magnify it. He loves to take our guilt and make us feel more guilty. He loves to take our fear and to shape it and to transform it and to twist it into something that we don't need to fear. We face that often. But then there's this thing called extraordinary oppression. And this is the work that goes far beyond 
the lies and the shame and the fear-mongering that the devil does. This is the kind of work that we see in the Gospels in the book of Acts when people are overcome and, and terrorized by the devil's demons and they become a shell of their former selves. You would say people are possessed. That's extraordinary oppression. And it's called extraordinary, uh, not just because of the degree of oppression, but also because of the frequency of the oppression is far less common or far less ordinary than ordinary oppression. You don't see the extraordinary oppression very often, but it does exist. It's certainly possible. And the more pressing threat, though, I would say is not that you would be overpowered by the devil, but that you would be enticed to do his bidding through his regular, ordinary work of believing in his lies. And this is not to say that extraordinary oppression doesn't happen. Like I said, it does. It just means that we, you and I, we need to spend more time looking out for any voice, any voice that we hear in a movie or in a song or in a friend or in our own heads that tells you to believe something other than what God has said to believe or to do something other than what God has told us to do, that we should spend more time there rather than looking for people with their heads spinning around like the exorcist. You see, here's the reality. The work, the work of the devil is to sin and to keep the whole world in sin. That's what the devil does, is he wants to keep us in a lifestyle of sin. And the devil does this by keeping people oppressed while thinking that we are free. And there are, these are the devil's works reminders, reminders that we face an enemy. And I think you need to remember this, that we face an enemy that is directly opposed to God and to his people and therefore oppresses God's people through lies and guilt and shame and fear, and even sometimes through even more extremes than that. This is how he's been rolling since the very beginning. This is what the devil does. He tell, and Jesus tells unbelievers this in John chapter 8, verse 44. He, he's talking to unbelievers and he says, listen, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So Jesus himself is pretty clear that the devil is a liar, that the only thing that he can speak is a lie. It's his native language. That's all he knows. The only thing he knows to do is lie, and therefore the devil's plan is to oppose God and to oppress his people by enticing people through his lies to sin. So if sin is a power, it needs to be broken. Or if sin is a master, we need to be free from it. Or if sin is a work of the devil, then the works of the devil need to be destroyed. And that's exactly what Jesus came to do on that first Christmas. And it's exactly what he did. He was born into this world on Christmas to destroy the works of the devil. But how? How does Jesus destroy the devil? 
You see, the idea of the devil and his works are often left out of the Christmas narrative. Yet Christmas means that Jesus came to save his people because, well, we're unable to save ourselves, right? Like, so God sent Jesus to save us from sin's bondage and traps that the devil is masterfully setting and working. Yes, God sent Jesus to save us by destroying the works of the evil one. And that word in the Greek, the word destroy, here means to completely demolish them. It means to undo them. It means to unspring the traps. It means to put an end to them. And Jesus did this through his humble birth and then his death on the cross and then his resurrection. Jesus destroyed the devil. You see, from the Garden of Eden all the way to today in the city of Prestonsburg, humans have an enemy that we cannot defeat on our own. Apart from Jesus, sin's retirement plan is death. There is no other option apart from Jesus. And Paul even reminds us of this in Romans when he says that the wages of sin is death, that the works of the devil are like chains binding us together, that sin has us in constant contact with the evil one, and we cannot break free from it on our own. There's nothing that you and I can do on our own to break free from sin. And yet, as promised in the garden way back in Genesis, a savior was sent to rescue us from our helpless situation. In Genesis chapter three, verse 15, it's known as the first gospel. Here's what it says. God says, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. And simply put, Jesus defeated Satan. And there was a promise of that way back in the day. And he defeated Satan in his victorious work on the cross and in his amazing resurrection. And in that moment, he pronounced sin and said, where is your sting? He said, death, where is your victory? Jesus said, you have been defeated. You see, God the Father, he sent a death-defying, evil-destroying, life-giving Savior to rescue us, undeserving people, you and me. And the devil will never recover from what Jesus did through his death and resurrection. In the, works, in the words of Jesus, he simply said this, it is finished. It is finished. The devil has been defeated. And so how, thinking through this, how does Jesus destroy the evil one, the works of the evil one? Remember what our text said. It said that the reason that the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's works. And so how does that happen? Well, later on, John says these words in chapter 5, verses 18 through 20. He says, we know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who is born of God keeps them safe, and the evil one cannot harm them. We know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We also know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true by being in, the Son, Jesus, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God in eternal life. In other words, John tells us that the one who was born of God, Jesus, he's the one that keeps us safe 
from the evil one who cannot harm us anymore, even though the whole world remains in his control. And then John tells us that Jesus gives us understanding, right? That as we read the word of God, he gives us understanding so that we may know who is true and who is not. That we may be able to filter the lies of the evil one out and know what is true and what is a lie. You see, Jesus is the path to eternal, is not just the path to eternal life, he is eternal life. And the apostle Paul, he continues this idea in Colossians chapter two, and he says, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, guess what? God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. That is good news, church. Having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them by the cross. Jesus took away our death sentence by dying on the cross and raising from the dead. And these powers and authorities that that Paul's referring to are the devil and his demons. And he says that Jesus has put them on notice, right? says, Jesus has put him on public notice, broadcasting it everywhere that he has destroyed the works of the devil. And because of what Jesus did on the cross, the devil is like a toothless tiger, all bark and no bite. But we give him a lot more credit than we should. The evil one is all bite, but no, all bark, but no bite. You see, Jesus has authority over all things so that those who believe in him would have nothing to fear. And some of you need to hear that today, that you don't have to be afraid, that Jesus is with you, that Jesus has you in his arms. And the enemy, the enemy is never gonna stop trying to put his hands on you. But listen to me, church, Jesus is bigger, he's better, he's greater, he's grander, and he's more powerful than anything that the evil, can, the evil one can throw at you. He took the penalty for our sins upon himself so that the devil's accusations fall flat on their face. Church, here's the reality. Jesus is our victorious king. Jesus has defeated the evil one and his victory is our victory. Jesus' victory on the cross is our victory in life. And I'm so glad that Jesus saved a skinny little white boy from Tampa, Florida. I used to be skinny once. And he saved this skinny little white boy from Tampa, Florida. And I'm so glad that he showed up in my broken down, angry heart to bring me from darkness to light. And I'm so glad that Jesus sticks with me even when I'm ready to throw in the towel and quit. And I'm so glad that Jesus beat the devil and that he constantly, constantly reminds me that he loves me and that he is my victorious king. And let me just remind you today, before we start a new year, before we start a new uh, clean slate, before we get our brand new calendars and open them up and start filling them up, before we start thinking about what's going to happen in the new year, let me just remind you that your Savior is the victorious King, that there's victory in 
Jesus. And what will it look like for you in the new year if you took on the attitude that I have victory in Jesus, that Jesus' victory is my victory? You see, we understand, so we understand how the devil works. We understand that he entices and he impresses through lies. We, we understand that Jesus came to destroy him. We also understand that we had an enemy that we could not defeat on our own. And that's what makes the gospel, that's what makes uh, our faith so beautiful, that you couldn't save yourself that there was nothing that you could do to rescue yourself, that we understand that Jesus is the victory for those who place their trust in him. And so finally, I want to ask this question. What does Jesus destroying the works of the devil mean for you and me today? It happened a long time ago, but what does it mean for us? What does it look like to walk in Christ's victory over the evil one today. What does that look like? Well, 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9 tells us, he says, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Verse 9 says, resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of of sufferings. So Peter reminds us that we have this real enemy, right? Like you just need to recognize that. You need to recognize that there is a battle going on all around you. You need to recognize that, that we have a real enemy, that the devil's not some, uh, some little dude with a pitchfork and a tail walking around, that the devil is a real deal and he's trying to devour us and he's really trying to cause lasting harm. He's trying to bust open your relationships. He's trying to break apart your friendships. He's trying to ruin your life through bad decisions. That's what he does. He, 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 the evil one attempts to damage our faith. He wants to shake our devotion to God the Father, and he lies time and time again to distort our understanding of God's goodness. And he loves to say, did God really say that? Did God really mean what he said? But Peter says, but listen, he says, but we got to stand firm because the victory Jesus has already had. In Jesus, our relationship with sin drastically changes. It's not the same, so don't let the devil have a seat at your table and convince you otherwise. So how do we live? How do we live this new life knowing that Jesus has had victory over the devil, and so because he's destroyed the works of the devil, how do we live? Well, Peter gives us a simple plan. He gives us a simple plan, and the first thing he says is we got to resist him. Everybody say resist. resist. We must resist him. We hold our ground, right? Like when the evil one comes and starts to tell us lies, when the evil one comes and tells us just one more fix, when the evil one comes and tells us you can go ahead and sleep around, when the evil one tells us all these lies, we must resist when the evil one says, hold on to that unforgiveness, when the evil one says, it's okay to lie, we must resist. We got to stand our ground. We got to say no retreat, no surrender. How, and how do we do that? We do that by placing our trust in Jesus and in Jesus alone. You see, when you start to trust your own heart, you're going to fail every time. When you begin to say, I got this, I don't need any help, you're going to fall flat on your face. 
And so Peter tells us we got to resist. We got to have this attitude of no retreat, no surrender. And we got to place our trust in Jesus alone because if the devil is a liar and the antidote to his lies are, uh, are the truth that we find in God's word, then what do we do? Well, we pray the word of God, right? We read the word of God. We, we confess our sins one to another. We live in community with one another. And that's how we resist. That's how we resist. Peter says we resist him. Next, he says, I want you to stand firm. Stand firm in your faith. Be resolved, right? Like be resolved. Put on the armor of God every single day. Most days I wake up and before my feet hit the ground, I sit on the edge of my bed and I put on the armor of God. I'm like, God, thank you for salvation. I'm putting on my helmet of salvation. I'm getting ready to walk out in the world. I got my shield of faith. I got my breastplate of righteousness. I got my feet of peace. Help me to be a peacemaker today. Help me to live in your peace everywhere I go. And I put on the armor of God, and then I take my sword later that morning and I open up the Bible because this is God's word. This is, this is the sword that we use to defeat the lies that Satan puts our way. And so we got to stand firm. we gotta, we got to be resolved. we got to put on the armor of God, and we have to draw a line in the sand and say, I'm not crossing over this line. Say, I'm not going to live a life of unforgiveness. I'm not going to lie anymore. I'm not going to gossip. I'm not, and you draw a line in the sand, and you stand on the word of God. You see, you got to remember that you can't give the devil an inch. Become unmovable. I love that phrase, become unmovable. Stand firm because Christ's work on the cross can't be undone. Like you can't undo what Jesus did on the cross. He's not going to come and take it back. He's not going to like show up one day and say, just kidding, I didn't do that. That's not going to happen. So you and I can stand firm in Jesus. And then finally, Peter says this. He says, I want you to remember, church, that you're not alone. Look at what it says in verse 9. It says, resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. Let me just tell you three words that I really think you need to live by in 2024. And it's these three words, live in community. Live in community. You see, we battle we battle, we're in a battle every day. We battle the world, we battle our own flesh, and we battle the devil every single day. And we must pray, and we must live in community because we all struggle every day. And we can't do it alone. And we must remember that we're not alone. We surround ourselves with a community of believers. And we remember that we're not alone. If you are here, let me just say this. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, let me just be quite honest with you and say, you need Jesus. You need Jesus. You need to know that Jesus has come to destroy the works of the devil for you. And trying to be a good person isn't enough. As a matter of fact, trying to be a good person is impossible and it's exhausting. Your best efforts are futile against such an enemy as sin, death, and the devil. But because Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil and liberate us from his grip, I beg you, I beg you to start off the new year with Jesus. Come to Jesus right now, and if you're here and you don't know him, just give your life to the Lord. Receive him as Savior, because here's the deal. He makes all things new by his grace. That's the promise. 
that if you will say yes to Jesus, if you will submit your life to the Jesus way, the promise is that he will make all things new. And I wonder what would it be like? What would it be like to start this new year with a new life in Jesus? Like what would that look like for you? That if you're here and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, what would it look like to start a new year with a new life in a savior that loves you? Listen, I want you to hear this. Warehouse Church wants to be your family. We love crazy, we love broken, we love jacked up people. We love doubters, we love people struggling with addiction, we love people who are homeless spiritually. So we're just inviting you to come home. We're inviting you to come home, we'll take you in. We're all a mess here, there's no one here that's not a mess. Like if you're a perfect person, you might as well get out because you're ruining it for the rest of us. Like we're all a mess, we're all jacked up and the difference though between us and everyone else is that we're Jesus' mess. We're Jesus' mess. And for those of us that know him, if you're here today and you know him, I think we need to remember this. I think that those who have been believers, whether you've been a believer for a month or for years, we need to remember that we can find joy. We can find joy in knowing that our, that our victory is found in Jesus. Our victory is found in Jesus, that, that the devil does not have a hold on us, that we can live in freedom that we have a victorious king who has set us free from sin. Like there's too many of us that are believers that are living like we are in bondage to sin and we are not living as victorious people. And I wonder for you, maybe you can connect and relate to that. What would it look like? What would it look like for you to start living in that freedom in 2024? What would it look like for you to no longer be a slave to sin, but rather to be free in Christ? What would that look like for you in the new year? You see, here's what I know. I know that some of you are living in bondage to sin. That some of you are buying into the lies that the evil one is whispering in your ear. That you are buying into the lies that you are worthless, that you are no good, that you are shameful but you don't have to live that way anymore because Jesus came on that first Christmas morning to destroy the works of the devil. You see, we can still have joy around Christmas knowing that we have a real enemy because we know that the enemy has been defeated that Christ the Savior is born today to save us from an evil enemy, to destroy his works. And church, there is no greater news than that. Would you pray with me? Father God, I, I thank you that, that we're in this Christmas season Lord, there are so many good things that we celebrate during Christmas. And God, we think of the joy and the hope. And we think of peace and we think of love. But how often do we think of the victory that took place because you came from up there to down here 
to destroy the devil's works. God, that's good news. That's good news for every single person in this room. That for those that don't know you or are far from you, have never given their lives to you, it's good news to know that there is a God who loves them and who has victory for them and freedom from sin and life everlasting. God, it's good news for those of us who have been hanging out with you for a long time. Because Lord, sometimes we just need to be reminded, number one, that there is an enemy. He doesn't quit. He doesn't stop whispering lies into our ears. It's good to remember there's an enemy. But God, it's also so good to remember that you've already won the fight. That you've already taken the devil down. He doesn't have a hold on us. That his bark is way worse than his bite. So Father, my heart is filled with gratitude to know that you came from up there to down here to rescue us, to save us from ourselves, to save us from our sin, save us from the works of the evil one. You're so good, Lord. So Lord, if there's someone in this room today who's never given their life to you, Father, I pray that today, this last day of 2023, would be the day that they put the stake in the ground and they claim you as their Lord and Savior. And if that's you, if you're sitting in that chair right now and you're thinking, man, what I wouldn't do to experience a new life, would you just call out to him in your seat right now? Just say something like, Jesus, I've been far from you. I've been lost. I'm drowning and I'm in need of a savior. Rescue me today. I give my life to you. I offer all that I have to you. Would you come and make all things new in me? And maybe you're here today and maybe you've been following Jesus for a while. Maybe you've been following him all your life. But you're recognizing that you haven't been living the victorious life. Rather, you've been choosing to live your own life. Maybe you've bought into some lies that the evil ones whispered in your ear. Maybe you've bought into some lies that people around you have told you that you're no good, that God would never love you. Maybe you're living with shame or guilt. You don't have to do that. You don't have to live that life. Because Jesus came and he died on a cross and he rose from the grave so that we could have freedom, so that we could have life, we could have it to its fullest. So if that's you today, just, I would invite you just in your seat to just talk to, the, talk to Jesus. Say, Lord, I've bought into the lies. I've gotten in my own head or I've allowed other people to get in my head. 
Lord, I lay that down before you today because I don't want to start the new year living a lie. I want to start the new year living a life of freedom. God, forgive me. God, remind me that you love me. God, show me your victory. Whatever it is you need, just tell Jesus right now. God, thank you for your love. God, thank you for your victory. Thanks for defeating the works of the devil. wrap up our time together this morning and our last time together in the new year, I just want to invite you to stand with me. We're going to sing this song. It's a, it's a responsive song. It's a song that is, uh, the purpose of this song is for you to respond to what you've heard today. And now as you respond, you may want to come and spend time in prayer. I invite you, I encourage you to come and spend time in our altar area before the Lord. Maybe you want to just surrender your life to Jesus. Maybe you want to ask for forgiveness. Maybe you want to just say thank you for the victory. Whatever it is, you come and spend time in prayer. If you want someone to pray with you, I'm on the front row. I'd be honored to pray with you. I'd be happy to pray with you or bring someone with you. Like, don't come alone. Do it in community. Say, hey, would you come pray with me and grab the person next to you? But let's stand and with all of our hearts and let's worship and adore our Lord our victorious Lord this morning as we sing this song. So would you stand with me? Let's sing together.